Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we all call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is Nightlight. It's a reminder that you are never alone. I have a treat for you guys tonight. I have a really special lady on. Her name is Rebecca Hardcastle Wright. She's a PhD and she's the founder of the Institute for Exoconsciousness. The Institute's mission is to support ET experiencers through research and application of the innate ability of human consciousness to connect and communicate with ETs. The Institute builds bridges between ET experiencers experiencers and consciousness science as well as connects ET experiencers and international experiencer groups. Her signature is exploring what it means to be an exoconscious human in a transhumanist era. And in 2008, she authored Exoconsciousness, Your 21st Century Mind. She teaches it at International Metaphysical University, and she was a member of Dr. Edgar Mitchell's Quantrek International Science Team researching zero-point energy consciousness and the ET ET presence. Her graduate degrees include an MDIV in Philosophical Theology from Boston University School of Theology and a PhD in in Parapsychic Science from American Institute of Holistic Theology. She's a certified hypnotherapist and coach from Southwest Institute for Healing, from Healing Arts. And if you want to get a hold of her or check her out a little bit more, her website is www.exoconsciousness.com. Holy mackerel. Rebecca, that's a tongue twister. (laughs) Thank you for that lovely introduction, Barbara. It's, It's wonderful to be with you this evening. And hello to everyone. I am so looking forward to tonight because you have um, so much material to share. And, you know, it's it's I think one of the one of the coolest things is every time I've been in the field for you know over half a century now. And every time I think, okay, I'm settled. I've had a taste of just about any everything. Something else crops up. And and, you know, it's it's lovely to talk to someone that has actually coined a phrase, written a book to it to explore it and and you know do us a step further so you did create the term exoconsciousness correct i did well i'll take partial credit um i've been an experiencer since i was a child so you know i've had um kind of waves of contact from early childhood on through my adulthood to today I have you know rather constant telepathic contact but um, I was a single mother as as um, many of us have been and I was raising my children and and very active actually in the Phoenix Lights community although I did not see the craft because I knew I was supposed to be in consciousness and not be examining crafts and going out and doing craft sightings and so I was reading a lot of books on consciousness and um, spiritual abilities, and one morning I woke up, my alarm went off, and I just kind of hit the alarm, the snooze button. Remember the old snooze button on the clock radio? 
I do. And I hit the snooze button, got five more minutes. I, I remember groaning, just thinking, oh, you know, I've got five more minutes of sleep till I have to get up, pack lunches, get everybody off to school, get myself to work. And I just laid back on the pillow and I had this experience where the term exoconsciousness just came into literally my being. You know, this that I know your, your husband, Patrick, was a theologian and very mm-hmm. biblical. And I like to re, re, kind of look to that phrase in the Bible about how the how words become flesh and dwell among us. And literally that word entered not just my mind and my and my kind of my neural um, networks, but it, it literally went through my entire body. And it's it's always been about the human, about the human body and about human consciousness. So um, I did create, I coined that term. I thought that at the time I was working with um, Steve Bassett and the Exopolitics Group. I, I don't know if you've had Steve on your show before or. No, not follow- yet followed his work. They were, you know, very much into in a government disclosure and what the kind of the expert, um, the experts and the professionals of our society, the, the bureaucrats have to say about UFOs and ET contact. And I've always been, I actually still am active in that today, but there was the primary emphasis of my work was always going to be the human and human consciousness. So I knew then that I didn't want something that was sourced in military, government, intelligence, and intel. I wanted something that was sourced in humans. And so Mm -hmm. that's that's what I've done with the term ever since. And at at one point, it was more academic. Um, It was more of an academic study of the origins, dimensions, and abilities of, of the extraterrestrial consciousness that that humans possess until today it's, it's less academic, although I am working with, with some scientists, but it's more about something that all of, of us as humans possess. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, when I, when I first saw the term, it was, it was like, you know, I, okay, I know exoskeleton, but exoconsciousness, that was fascinating to me. And, and, you know, I, I've never really thought about consciousness being a framework that we could build on. And yet, it, that's exactly what it is, and it's multidimensional. So depending on how far you want to go with it, you know, there are portals, there are ways of, of, of seeking and reaching anywhere. And and it, it was amazing to me. I loved your book. Uh, oh, your book, thank you. I, I highly recommend it. To, it, it has everything in it it's it's you know you 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 manage to research the devil out of just so much it's unbelievable but um i loved i loved the way you explained how you went through the process and how um the it i i do believe that that someone becoming awakened to the gifts that we have that we can we can touch into and and reach for is it's sort of like a wave type thing it, it you know you you kind of it's feast or famine you 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 have a period of time where you're really digging hard and you're 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 just stretching yourself amazingly and then then there's a time where you you sort of rest and let it all sort of become in sync with the rest of your energetic field 
Oh, absolutely. That's something that we're actually with the Institute for Exoconsciousness. That's one of the things that we've been working toward is once we have these, um, whether it's a peak spiritual experience or a peak paranormal experience or a UFO sighting that, you know, really kind of cracks, cracks our cosmic egg and opens us up to uh, other realities that it's not just that one experience, but it, the importance is what happens as we literally mature and integrate into that experience, how that, um, how that begins to redefine what meaning we bring to life, what meaning we bring to ourselves as humans. And one of the things that we talk about at the Institute for Exoconsciousness is that humans do possess an, a consciousness that is extraterrestrial. Otherwise, we would not be connecting and communicating with extraterrestrials. People, humans, humans connect with ET innately. We, we have this innate extraterrestrial consciousness for connection and contact and communication that we can either choose to use or choose not to use. So we believe that, that the whole idea of extraterrestrial consciousness as being part of humans is a very foundational um, concept for us. Mm-hmm. Would you say that the that, that extraterrestrial consciousness and cosmic consciousness are one and the same, or are they two different concepts? I think they're one and the same, but I think experientially that um, a person can meditate, for example, and go into nirvana, state of bliss, Mm-hmm. And go out into the cosmos where they have this feeling of limitless eternity and or or the void. And when a person has extraterrestrial contact via their ET consciousness, they have more of an experience of actually being in contact with another conscious being. Mm-hmm. So one is they're both field consciousness um, experiences and because I believe that consciousness is a field, not necessarily just a brain phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. That, that, that we do have a being to being. I, as a human being, have a connection and a communication with an extraterrestrial as a being. So I think people could also have those um, experiences with UFO crafts. We, we, a, a lot of ET experiencers have um, expressed the fact that when they see a UFO craft, it feels alive to them. So I, I began to have that whole feeling that, that um, maybe what we're seeing in a UFO is really a, literally a craft that's alive or a consciousness craft. And so people come away often from UFO experiences so deeply touched because the craft is alive and does have a consciousness, which I know it's a little difficult for us to wrap our nuts and bolts minds around that. But I truly believe that that's how um, extraterrestrial propulsion and, and travel happens. And, when I was with Dr. Mitchell, that's th- that was one of the things that we researched was um, zero point energy, consciousness, mm-hmm. and the ET presence. It was always kind of that trinity was always there. Yeah, well, when I, I saw, and I told you earlier, I one landed on my campus when I was in college, 
and um, when it took off, it swooped over my dorm and it literally blacked out the sky. I and I jokingly, people that have heard the story before will will know this next phrase. If it had had a VIN number, I could have read it. <laughs> it was that close. <laughs> and and it, it what I found fascinating was that you know um, the girls were locked in the dorm so that so that I was amongst hundreds of, of girls that, that were present at that particular um, situation. And yet, you know, I saw it and I was just absolutely enraptured by it. It was like, wow, uh, you know, we're not alone. There's more out there. I was excited. I think if I'd been given a free pass, I would have gone immediately. Um, there were other girls that were terrified and that were, were hiding in closets and screaming and having nervous breakdowns. And there were yet others that didn't see a thing. And, and it, 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 it has always boggled my mind because, um, you know, I thought it was really cool. Um, and, and, you know, it, it intrigued me. It, it was like, you know, there's something here to follow. There's something here to pay attention to. There's something here to, to get to know better. And Did you talk about it as a as a dorm? No, no, no. Um, it was it was in the '60s, and um, you know I hate to tell people how long ago it was, but I, it was sixty sixty five or sixty six. I can't remember exactly when, but it's it's one of the it's one of the authenticated um, sightings, and it was that was the time when J. Allen Mitchell was out in Michigan, you know, saying everything was swamp gas. Right. And um, so um, I, I was at Eastern Michigan University. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And it, um, they closed down all of the airports around us. Um, wow. And it was, you know, the police were there with a car, you know, the, the radios blaring, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's landed on the, on the baseball field. We're going to turn the lights on. <laughs> they turned the lights on. The thing just rose up and it swooped over and it, it I swear, it almost hovered. And then it was gone and the thing that amazed me so much was that it had to break the sound barrier yet yet there was no air displacement Mm -hmm. there was no sound and for the rest of the evening military police with german shepherds patrolled the entire university um and the next day nothing in the news nothing in the newspapers it was just like nothing had happened Mm mm-hmm and, That's so uh, common. That's such a common phenomenon with with these things that touch us so deeply. And it's almost like they touch a place that we're afraid to share because it is so deep inside of us. Well, you know, it's, I, I was ridiculed for, for, for decades and uh, a couple of, well, a couple of years ago, uh, I met an author who had written a book called In Focus, and it was it was talking about the authenticated sightings and stuff like that. And and you know there I was in it, and it was like oh. I w- I wanted to buy forty or fifty books and just send them to everybody that gave me such a hard time about I shouldn't drink so hard when I was in college. <laughs> and I mean the teasing that I have gotten over the years, and you know it's kind of like. Yeah, I know you don't believe me, but it's okay. It was there, and and it triggered something in me that was really profound. And uh, I was off on a spiritual, and and you know, it, it wasn't a UFO thing. It was a spiritual journey that it triggered. But you know, the two are are very very closely connected. 
Interesting. You know, I, 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 I was given that word exoconsciousness, I think, just to explore the field of consciousness. And it's, I have a, I don't know if you're familiar with Google Alerts, but I have a Google Alert for it. So every day, whenever consciousness is mentioned throughout the press, Google scoops up all of those um, posts or articles or news and, and, and puts them into a nice little Google alert and then sends them to you. So it's been just fascinating. I've probably done that for about 10 years now. And it's been fascinating to see how the whole field of consciousness has evolved. And yet it hasn't evolved. And yet we still have that sense of mystery and wonder when something, an experience like this out of our you know, out of our ordinary day-to-day touches us, and we don't know quite what to make of it. Um, I was really, I've been caught up for some time in um, the exploration of transhumanism, artificial intelligence, any kind of neural implants, and what that's going to mean to we extraterrestrial experiencers, because we are very psychic Mm-hmm. And what's it going to mean if I'm chipped or say my children or grandchildren are chipped? What's that going to say if I have a neural implant that plugs into, you know, a massive computer in Utah then, then, or Colorado? What happens to my psychic ability then? And then um, one day I was at yoga and um, I was living in Washington, D.C., and there was a woman there and she, she was probably maybe in her early sixties and she was in my yoga class and we walked out to the parking lot together and I, I'm, you know, very friendly. So we just began to talk and she said that she worked in DARPA and I said, Oh, you know, which, which part of DARPA are you the the defense um, research and planning part of the military and the Pentagon. And I said, oh, which part are you in? And she said, well, I'm actually in artificial intelligence. I've I've been in artificial intelligence for 30 years. And I said, wow. I said, you know, amazing things are happening. And, you know, the whole, you know, artificial intelligence, the neural implants and, we, you know, biometrics going on. And, and she said, well, yes and no. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, to be honest, in terms of consciousness, we really haven't made much progress in 30 years. We're really quite stuck. And I just kind of looked at her and I'll never forget this day. I looked at her and I just said, oh, are you stuck because you don't know what consciousness is? And she goes, (laughs) that's exactly why we're stuck. And I feel that that's, you know, that's a real point of humility to me also, because you know, we talk about consciousness and, you know, we can look back, you know, 400 years when, um, during the enlightenment, when knowledge was divided up into scientific knowledge that, you know, all, all the sciences and biology and chemistry and geography were given to the academics and, and the universities and religion kept the the concept of consciousness Mm -hmm. and for 400 years did nothing with it. (laughs) They literally just sat on it. And so it's no wonder we haven't progressed. You know, that well, was you, one field that just stayed stuck. Well, you know, there is, there is, I call it an awakening, because probably in the last decade or so, people have become more and more comfortable with um, understanding 
the spiritual essence that they have within them and that their consciousness, you know, goes beyond their physical body and reality for sure. And, and that, that so much else is possible. And it's my own personal belief that, that we carry our, our hall of records in our DNA, that everyone has their own hall of records and it isn't hidden under some sphinx in, in, (laughs) in Egypt or, you know, it's in a black box. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Though, 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 I think that there are. I know that there are chambers and stuff under the Giza Plateau sure. and all of that. But, but, but it, it's, I, humanity is coming to a point where, to me, there, there, you know, the the last frontier is going inside, and discovering the richness that we carry within us, and the and the powers and the abilities and the gifts and the talents that are there. If we if we take the time to not ask somebody to tell us, but 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 to, to search search it out and and be worthy of it within ourselves. And I always I always have to laugh when um, people talk about UFOs, unidentified flying objects, you know, outside of themselves, mm-hmm. this is, you know, separate from me, and how that whole unidentified um, word was coined when. Actually, the unidentified part is inside of us. It's yeah. not up in the sky. It's it's inside humans. That's what we're identifying, and and we're and we're doing a beautiful job of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you. I think there's been quite a dramatic uh, spiritual awakening in religion as well as in in culture in general. I I just kind of. To me, religion is a wonderful foundational thing, but it, it, you know, the cosmic stuff does go beyond it. And, Absolutely. But they're connected. You know, it's not choose one they're or the so other. They're so connected. It, I, 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 oh. after, after we talked, I, um, I went online and ordered Patrick's book. So it's on my, <laughs> it's on my, uh, it's, a, it's on my table to read, um, you know, UFOs in the Bible. I'm looking for it. It looks like a beautifully done and researched book. I, I, I wish I would have met him. I would have ah. so enjoyed that, you know, sharing that kind of, you know, religious connection. And um, because he religion had, yeah. is cosmic. Oh, it's geez, cosmic. Yeah. He had a photographic memory, so it was it was often frustrating. You know, it's, what do you mean four hundred and thirty such and such? And it's like, you know, he said, "Google it." And it was, I, I had to after a while just stop stop googling because photographic memories are really a pain. But what was fascinating was he didn't believe in psychics, and and so he brought the paranormal into the relationship, and I brought the spiritual into it. And we wrote a lot of stuff together, which, you know, was, it, it, so it was magical. Exciting. Oh, I wish mm-hmm. I would have met him. I'm going to so enjoy his book because, you know, as you, as you said in the introduction, I have a, I have a theological, philosophical theology background. And um, I know a lot of people in religion, uh, you know, across the spectrum. I was an mm-hmm. interfaith campus minister for 15 years, actually, uh, ironically or not ironic. Um, at Wright Pat- uh, just outside Wright Patterson Air Force Base at Wright State University, I worked oh. there for 15 years. <laughs> oh, how cool! <laughs> yeah, so I was like sitting right on top of you know Hangar 18 or wherever the wherever the yeah. goods are. I don't know. 51. But, um, 51. Yeah, yeah. but um, well, you know, it, it's funny because Patrick was um, a trained Baptist minister. Okay. 
though he never became ordained, mm -hmm. I'm a spiritualist minister and I have served in the pulpit. Yes, so, I saw that. So, you know, it was it was hysterical because he he um, he felt traditional religion had had, you know, had, you know, gone the wrong way down the street, so to speak. So was he, he Southern or American Baptist? Um, Southern. OK, because they're very different. Oh yes, they are. <laughs> and, but but it was it's it was fascinating. Um, every now and then, I find you know so I'll be talking with someone and and a biblical question will come up and and um, I will know the answer immediately and, <laughs> and it has to you know and it's like thank you Patrick because I had no oh, yeah. idea where and somebody said well where did that come from and I said you know probably Patrick uh, because you know it, it, you just can't. But his mind was amazing. You couldn't help but right. It's almost like a muscle memory of your marriage, where oh, <laughs> all dude. of all of the scripture coming forth. Oh, I, I agree. I just, I, I um, there, there's some ways in which I've kind of let go of religion and the church, and just felt as though you know when they're ready to talk about it, wonderful. Uh -huh. But um, I mean, I have some wonderful, you know, clergy and and religious friends, and we do talk about it some. But um, there's just not much interest there. There's just not much there there right now. <laughs> well, like I said, it's it's a wonderful foundation, and and especially in the texts that are not in the Bible, mm -hmm. there's a tremendous amount. I mean, the the um, Gospel of Thomas for one, absolutely. And you know, there are so many wonderful. Um, well, well, they all bring new questions to the table, which I think is just fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to go back to you mentioned that, that, that often people from, uh, you know, a near death experience or a trauma of some sort or, um, or seeing an ET, they change their lives tremendously and radically. And in your glossary or your appendix of your book, and, and I have to admit, I stopped reading the book to go back and take the test of whether you're a star Aww. kid or not. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it was fascinating. How did you how did you put together all those questions to find out if you were a star kid or not? Oh, good question. Um, when I was writing the book, I was actually going to um, I was getting my uh, certification in hypnotherapy and life coaching at Southwest Institute for Healing Arts in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And so I was reading a lot of different books on, you know, just personality, different psychological uh, theories. I was I was um, going a lot into spirituality. I saw that you're a Reiki master. I was working with a Reiki master at the time. And I just, oh, I, I, I took that kind that basis of spirituality and psychology and theology because I'd been a pastoral counselor for, for for many many years and I combined that with the fact that I was attending week uh, monthly a group in Fountain Hills Arizona outside of Phoenix for extraterrestrial experiencers we were literally an experiencer group it was run by a woman named Ruth Hover Dr. Ruth Hover she worked with John Mack and his peer group out of Harvard with Leo Sprinkle and that kind of, you know, Bud Hopkins, that very small kind of initial 
group that gathered around working with ET experiencers and she became my mentor. And so through working with her, I just began to collate different ideas of what an experiencer would possibly go through. I got very interested in, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but your, um, your audience might like it. Um, highly sensitive people. There's a Mm -hmm. woman that has a website called highly sensitive people. And I just thought, Oh, this is ET experiencers are highly sensitive people. And, um, I just kind of merged all of that, all of that knowledge into, um, the star kid quiz. And I've actually kind of changed it and edited it over time and, you know, work through it when, uh, when various things have emerged, but, um, that's, that's how it came to be. That's how it, how it's life began. Well, I can't tell you how many years ago it was, but it was, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it was decades ago. NASA put out a list of, uh, criteria for if you were, uh, a star child. And really? Yes. <laughs> Um, one of them was the, uh, that, you know, you have a calling, but you don't know where it is or what it is. You know, you, you know, you have a mission, but you don't know what it is. And it's very frustrating to you. Another is a fascination with um, antiquities, with with ancient civilizations. Um, and th- there were a couple of others. Um, but Interesting. They, they actually, I, I remember somebody sent it to me and said, so you're a star child? And I read it and I said, probably. Um, usually usually very psychic or, or in tune with the environment um, and, and, you know, driven, literally driven yes. to, to, to reach for the stars, so to speak. Well, and, and also driven with your mission, with, with your mission here on earth, I would say. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, like- and so many don't know what their mission is and, and literally the mission is to just be the best yes. you can be. But they and, know that there's something that they need, quote, need to be doing. There's this, there's this fire inside of them. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, and it's, and, and to be, to be secure enough within yourself so that when you feel that you need to go a direction or, or to explore something that you give yourself permission to. And, you know, so many people don't. And, and you know, it was, but I found it fascinating that NASA put it out. I had never, I'm going to look that up. I wonder if I could scrounge up a copy of it somewhere. I'd love to see that. That is fascinating. It was pinned to a bulletin board I had for so long that it just kind of shriveled up. Right. Um, it, but um, maybe Deb can Google NASA, NASA's yeah. definition of star children. If she's listening, I'm sure she's listening. Um, <laughs> she she listens. She's very good. She's my techie here. You're right. Um, and but it it's it was an amazing list, and I I just uh, I for the longest time I I just I hung on to it, and I would say the pe- I, and I would I I call them people with light body energy activated. Mm-hmm. I and, like that. And, and so, you know, they, so many people use the term light body, but it's not my definition of it. Light body people, to me, are people that um, come in with another level of consciousness. And, and I call it their light body consciousness, which is usually left on the other side as a gatekeeper, but they bring it in with them. Yes. And they bring it in with them. It's, from, what I, from what I gathered, from what I was given, 
that it was that would the light body energy people turn up on the planet at, in times of extreme transition and and confusion and basically they are um anchors for the shifts in the consciousness of humanity and i, I totally agree with that and some sometimes i think that we are um our remnant people also we kind of tend to the remnant Mm-hmm. of people who are other light bodies or people who, you know, wish to evolve into that. And we sort of tend to that, to that group of people. Well, yes. And, and the other thing is um, long life, long live, they, we, they live long lives. And um, one of the other cool things is they, they are so intense, they tend to burn up relationships. Aww. Because because they are so intense that, that mm-hmm. oftentimes if they don't recognize it, they they give more deeply, more strongly, and they search harder and longer, and and they just, you know, if, if sometimes they're with people who love them very much, but it doesn't feel enough because it isn't to the same intensity that they're able to love back. So, um, but light body energy people, um, I I I, kid, I kidded around with people. Um, Rebecca, did you see the link? I did. It's wonderful. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. I don't want to read it while we're talking, but I can't wait. Well, at the top <laughs> looks of like the they hour, made a program. I bet they did make a program. <laughs> at, at, the, at the top of the hour, we will have um, five minutes. There'll be a break, and you can kind of squint right. it there. Um, <laughs> that so, is. I will be. I will be. I will dig into the history. Of this because it's going to be, um, I, I'm working. I, you know, I, as I said, I worked with Exopolitics with Michael Sala and Steve Bassett and mm-hmm. uh, Alfred Weber when they when they first launched Exopolitics, and um, so I've always been very aware of ufology and the kind of the historical timeline of, of modern ufology as opposed to you know ancient or continual cosmic uh, history. Uh, and um, it's very interesting what's coming out today in terms of what the government is um, is starting to talk about in terms of disclosure and and um, you know kind of taking the wraps off off of things and maybe later on we could talk about I was when I worked with Edgar I was pulled into the WikiLeaks uh, um, the, the 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 WikiLeaks dump during yeah. the, just prior to the election so that was kind of an interesting time too but. Um, yeah, NASA kind of takes wraps off things every now and then, and um, I'm, I want to dig in to see historically when this happened, who put uh, it together, you know. I, I don't think this is quite what I was talking about, but I'll keep looking for it. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's interesting. Uh, I, just, I just snuck a peek. Um, <laughs> but it was, um, it, it's, it's amazing how as, as we we grow more and more and more into the 21st century. People are so much more comfortable with the fact that um, there are ETs. And what, what really angers me is that that um, so many people make such a big thing out of the fear factor with them. And, right. Um, well, that's Hollywood. I, I have never experienced anything fearful, ever. Yeah, I, 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 I I never have either, but I, I will say that, um, as I said, I was a child, early, early childhood experiencer. I have memories going back to three years old in terms of my extraterrestrial contact. And I think 
by the time I became, you know, an early, early adolescent, so around sixth or seventh grade, to me, my experience became a little traumatic, I think, because I, I experienced, you know, that's about the time you move into your peer groups and kind of a little bit away from your family of origin into what your friends are talking about and doing. And I, I had a very difficult transition into adolescence because of being an experiencer and feeling like um, I, I had a, a very deep conflict between who I knew I was and who I needed to be to fit in. And um, it, it, it did, it was rather traumatic because I, I did have a clash of realities at that point. So it was, it wasn't really a fear. It was more like a confusion, I would say. Mm-hmm. that I experienced. Well, now you've been, you've been communicating with extraterrestrials almost your whole life. I have. And I have. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, as a, as an intuitive, as a psychic, I mean, I get information, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not on a personal, you know, it's not on a, you know, hi, Fred, what do you, what do you know today type basis? It's, it's, it's more of a, I ask a question and I get the information back. Mm-hmm. So, but I would imagine it's a very personal thing that everybody does it according to whatever is appropriate for them. I, I think I think it's very personal. It's almost like you know we all have our a different you know blueprint inside of our our consciousness or our DNA or you know wherever it is that um, that causes us to have these paranormal or these. Uh, extraterrestrial contact experiences in different ways. And um, I, I, I can look at mine and throughout the whole, you know, span of my lifetime so far. And as I have matured and integrated and calmed down about who I am, mm-hmm. much of it due to the fact that um, I moved to Fountain Hills and became a part of that extraterrestrial experiencer group. It was such, it and and I was a, I was a, a, um, a young adult at that point. Actually, I was probably in my thirties. But to all of a sudden, you know, take an experience that I had had personally that had belonged to me privately. I had a private experience with ETs. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden have that private experience be authenticated and verified. And I would be all of a sudden sitting in a group of people that had the same kind of experience I did privately. And that mm-hmm. all of a sudden we became a community together. That to me was probably the most uh one of the most powerful parts of my integration that these people in the group, they be, they're still my friends and, you know, I still see them. And the minute we pick up the phone and talk to each other, we are on the same wavelength. We're, we're, we're talking the same language. We know the same information. We have to use very little words and we know exactly what each other are talking about. And I, I feel like I was so privileged to have that, that um, one of the things that the Institute for Exoconsciousness is doing now today is that we have launched another website that's um, under exoconsciousness.org. 
And under that, we're we're founding the um, Exoconscious Center, the Center for Exoconsciousness. And what that is, what that's becoming is we're creating a worldwide map of extraterrestrial experiencer groups. So, for example, if you live in Thailand and you want to join an extraterrestrial experiencer group, or if you want to start one, then you can click on that map. And it will lead you to other people in Thailand who, you know, can join with you in your group or, you know, in Des Moines, Iowa or Melbourne, Australia. So it's going to be an international community of ET experiencer groups. Um, I think ET experiencers have been able to work one on one with coaches and hypnotherapists and and that sort of thing. This is really the first time that we've been able to gather a community around nurturing and and supporting grassroots ET experiencer communities, community groups. So it's, I can't even imagine what it's going to grow into. It's going to be so exciting. So um, now does this include abductees? It could include, it could include, it it could include people who saw UFOs, people Mm -hmm. that felt they were abducted, um, people who had maybe a, an experience where they 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 had a visitation in their bedroom or out camping under the stars it could be you know a person like Travis Walton that you know literally mm-hmm. got abducted up into a craft i mean it's the whole continuum it could be someone that went to see um uh, um i can't the the arrival that recent movie called the arrival Oh yeah, and felt like whoa, that opens something in me, and I need to talk about it with somebody. They they can go to that group and start to share who they are, and we we awaken, you know, we all awaken differently. It could be reading from a front, it could be reading your book, it could be reading my book, it could be listening to this podcast. You know, I, I, there's not really going to be any uh, boundaries around who's coming and who's not coming to mm-hmm. the group. I see she found uh, uh, Richard Boylan, um, Boylan's uh, Star Kids quiz. He yeah. was very influential to me also um, in his work in California. He started a Star, Star Child Academy and did a lot of work with, um, with Star Children. So I'm hoping that all these people that have had contact as children or as adults can come together in these in – these, uh, literally communities. And I think, I feel like the computer allows us to grow this map of groups that is just, it's mind boggling what it's going to grow into. And then along with that, to sort of supplement it and nurture it, we're going to, um, we're doing as part of the Institute, then we're bringing people on as teachers who specifically want to be teachers to these groups of ET experiencers to offer like a training or workshops, most of it probably video online so that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, people can continue to learn and continue to share with one another. And then we also hope to have, um, once a month, then we hope to have a gathering where if you're running a group 
uh, say in Melbourne, Australia, and you have somebody in Beijing, China, that those people that are running the groups can all come together on some kind of a Zoom or a Skype or a talk where, you know, we can all get together and talk about what's going on with our groups. So we want to um, really organize it and open lines of communication on the earth because we as the Institute believe that at this time on earth that we can literally become portals for the dissemination, for the reception and the dissemination of extraterrestrial information. Now, you mentioned um, in your book a lot of different uh, kinds of extraterrestrials that are out there. and. And if, is there, do they, do they each bring a different kind of wisdom information uh, or insight or, or is it just kind of whatever is attracted to you is, is, is what you get shared with? Well, I think when the whole idea of star children or star kids or whatever came about, that's probably when people really started to go into Oh, you know, I'm really connected to the Arcturians, or someone else would say I'm connected to the Pleiadians. Someone would say I'm connected to the Greys or the Reptilians. I think that we as an institute, one of the things in our mission statement is that we are going to communicate and work with extraterrestrial that some like us and some Mm -hmm. not like us. So we're very explicit that some of these ET races and beings may not be at all like us. Mm -hmm. And um, so we don't really have any expectation that, you know, we're only going to be attracting humans that are connecting with other humanoids or humans that are connecting with Pleiadians that, you know, this is a venture. I, I, I would say that it appears to me that, Um, extraterrestrials, these different races are used to working with one another. The issue is that we're not used to working with them. We're not used to working with each other either. Or each other. Right. (laughs) Um, I I have often said that, that, you know, the earth is is really very primitive. So I'm pretty sure they don't, I I think we've been quarantined sometimes. Something that that you know they they really don't want to turn us loose on the cosmos because we we just don't have our act together yet. Maybe that's maybe that's the purpose of the Van Allen belt. I don't know, but there's it something that be. seems to be yeah, holding us in place. And and I, I you know, what better way to open these portals of information back and forth between humans and extraterrestrials than in a community where you learn to get along with people and you're not, I, I, I can remember, gee whiz, it must have been like back in the, back in the mid nineties, I was visiting a ufologist home and I, I, I experienced reptilian beings in the inner earth when I was a child. So mm-hmm. I was, I'm very familiar with reptilians. You know, really I've been visited by many different types of ETs. And I mentioned reptilians to this ufologist and he and his wife, I mean, they could not, they just could not suppress themselves. It's like they started rolling their eyes and like, I could tell, like, 
they really thought that the reptilians were evil, that they were going to come and eat everybody and, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever propaganda had been spewing all over everybody that um, I just had to laugh and just kind of like, whoa, you know, did they want me to stay at their house or not? Because, you know, <laughs> well, you I've know, been talking Pat, to the reptilians. <laughs> Pat, Patrick often said that, that if, if extraterrestrials wanted to eat our brains <laughs> and, and, you know, enslave us, they would have done it thousands and thousands of years ago. I mean, it's, it's not yeah, it's not like they're fattening us up for something. And are so, we doing just a just a bang up job and <laughs> enslaving ourselves? <laughs> oh, God, yes. No, it just you know you you sit back and are you familiar with Billy Meyer at all? I am. Yes. Um, I have found his information fascinating. Right. Um, you know, I I I do it with tongue in cheek sometimes, but I have to admit that his predictions that that he's gotten from them over the years, over the decades, have, the predictions are phenomenal. And I think the last time he asked for predictions for the, you know, the destiny of humanity and, and mankind, I, apparently he was told, we didn't do anything he told us to do, so he wasn't going to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have Paolo Harris on your show? She went to see Billy. No, I haven't. Do you know her? No. Her name's Paolo Harris. Um, she's a no. ufologist. She's written about four or five books. She's phenomenal. Um, she's she knew John Mack. Uh, she 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 did. Um, she's from um, Italy. She grew up in Italy, so she's bilingual. She lives in uh, Boulder, Colorado, currently. But um, she's she is kind of the Barbara Walters of ufology. And she's gone out and written these books that are basically interviews with people in the field of ufology. Wow. And so he doesn't give that interview. Yeah. She knew Michael Wolf. She knew Colonel Corso. She translated for Colonel Corso who did the Roswell Roswell book, for example. I mean, you, Mm -hmm. she worked for Alan Hynek in Chicago. Ah, yeah, so she went to um, she went to see Alan Hynek as a journalist. She, she wanted to find what the heck was going on here. Well, he changed and, his mind, you know, towards yeah, the end there. Yeah, and um, but she did. She went to go. She went to see Billy Meyer in Switzerland. Wow! And interviewed him. She'd be a fascinating. You would really enjoy her. I can I, um, I can introduce you to her. That would be. Fantastic. That would be great. Now, I, I have found that that what what's opening up for all of us is that, that there is being created a, a network of, of people who are like minded like never mm-hmm. before. And the Internet is doing it, you know, and, and, you know, being able to have a radio show like this that goes around the world so that, you know, you can pick up people you know, who are, who, you know, who are, I don't know, in, in Hohokus. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of what I love about it is you can put the information out there and then they have directions to go and people's names to, to latch on to and, and to, you know, sort of validate the fact that they're not crazy. Right. Paolo does a, um, I'm going to write this in. She does a Starworks conference every um every november in laughlin nevada did you know bob brown 
mm-hmm. that did the International UFO Congress in Laughlin, Nevada for years. He and his wife, Teresa. He's he's a pyramid guy, right? Bob Brown. No, he's more of, of a ufologist. Okay. Um, yeah. And he and he and his wife, Teresa, did the um, the International UFO Congress for years in Laughlin, Nevada. And it was just, you know, it was almost like a... Um, like a journey to Mecca for people, you know, to go to the, to that was like one of the first UFO Congresses. And then, um, the group out of Phoenix, um, John Rao bought, uh, the conference from Bob Brown and, and, and he has the conference in, um, Rao has a conference in Phoenix now, the International mm-hmm. UFO Congress. So Paulo went back to Laughlin just to give a plug to your audience and every year in Laughlin at the same hotel, she has the Starworks conference. And she always, her focus is always international mm-hmm. and always consciousness. Well, you know, it's, it's just, I think it's, what I am finding is that so many people are expanding into other dimensions, which, which I, you know, which I have been um, yelling about. For, for a long time. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things that you did mention uh, in your book briefly, um, the, uh, um, the crop circles. Yes. Now, um, it, it's kind of, I don't know how far you went into my website, but I designed a deck of cards that are hand-painted mandalas. Right, I saw that. And they were created just before, uh, I think they were published actually in 91. And while there have always been crop circles, it, it wasn't until after they were published that, that the crop circles started to get so phenomenal. Wow. And, and what is fascinating is a lot of my cards have been replicated as crop circles. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so that That's there is fascinating. There's a sacred geometry there that is yes. amazing. And what I found also fascinating was that um, one of my paintings that, that is not one of the cards, but is it was one of my paintings, turns out to be the the uh, tree of life. That um, oh yeah, and so so it and and again Kabbalah. I, yeah. And mm-hmm. what what was fascinating was I have no art training. And um, I was in this class for spiritual development, and the homework assignment was to do a Mandela for a class member, and I was off and running. And there are like 500 of them now all over the world. Oh, my goodness. And I don't paint them anymore because I'm done. But um, it just – it was – it was – an amazing experience because they were totally, I tell people they came through me. They're not of me. And I, um, I know that feeling. I know that's great. That's the greatest feeling. <laughs> I have never had a high as high as that high was you know, for nine months. I painted like crazy and, uh, and I didn't intend to publish them, but you know, a publisher approached me and there we were. So, so they're out there now. And what's, what's so much fun with them is that, um, I hear, um, people who are, uh, of the pagan persuasion, you know, mm-hmm. use them for, for, for ceremony. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Native Americans have come to me and said, wow. you know, these are power shields and we didn't think wow. they were to be shared. And I said, look, they just came through me and right. I, you know, and, and when they looked at them, they said, well, it must be time. And, and, so, so 
I, I do think that, that people who are willing to just go with something um, have a richness that comes to them through them that is, that is a gift to all of humanity. That's remarkable. I worked with um, Chet and Callista Snow. I don't know if you've met them before, but they, they, um, he's a, a past life regressionist, hypnotherapist, and they ran a crop circle conference in Phoenix, Arizona every year. And I kind of, I helped, I helped work their conference and okay. um, we, we've got it. Yes, I'm here. Um, I, you know, we've been talking about about the fact that that um, there there is, I I believe that that we have the capacity to communicate with extraterrestrials. I, I do believe that you know in in all of the the quote unquote junk DNA that is not junk, we we carry within us not only our all, our own hall of records, but we we the the ability to um, regrow limbs if we can turn that part on that that that. There are channels to all sorts of amazing things inside of us, and it's a matter of of activating them and accessing them. So that so that what we're talking about, you and I here, is something that that everyone has the capacity to do. Yes. Not not everyone is going to do it, but but everybody has that option. And and there, I know there are a lot of people out there that suspect that they have had some sort of um, communication or, or some sort of experience can you know, just, just not go into all of it, but give us some of the, some of the things that, that sort of point to the fact that they have these lines open and that they could access this information if they wanted to. You mean in terms of being an ET experiencer? What, yeah. What would they, I, I think, Primarily, an ET experiencer is a person that has a high psychic intellect. And by that, I mean that, you know, either through um, environmental circumstances of perhaps their family lineage or, you know, in, in many, many places, different cultures, for example, Native Americans, um, Celtic people had, you know, they, they, they raised their children using their psychic abilities. And so as that, as that lineage matured and was passed down generation to generation, you were looking at, um, you know, a, a race of people literally from a part of the earth that is really quite psychic. Um, they, they know how to psychically read other people, you know, when, permission is granted, as well as people that can communicate with animals, people that can communicate with plants, people who communicate with with the earth, with different energy um, signatures, either on the earth, maybe at a vortex or an energy signature in another another human being or an animal. I think I would call those people as they possess um, high psychic intelligence or high psychic abilities. Um, In my presentations, I talk a lot about Howard Gardner, who put together the theory of multiple, multiple intelligence at Harvard because he was tired of just measuring children's intellect in terms of linear uh, linguistic and mathematical intelligence. And he broadened it out to, I think, um, 
10 intelligences today. I mean, he's still adding intelligences. One of them is um, that he just added recently is a nature intelligence where um, a child or a human could possess the ability maybe to connect with plants and animals. So um, I would add to his list that um, that we have a psychic intelligence. He's really never talked about a psychic intelligence, like a psychic IQ. Mm-hmm. But I believe that that people that do possess a psychic IQ, this is how we orient ourselves in the world, literally. This is how we live our life. We don't necessarily go by... Um, what the doctor tells us or um, what the dentist tell us because we're already inside our body and we're already our, our first opinion. And, you know, we know what's wrong or what's right or what needs to be looked at. And, and we're that in touch with not only ourselves, but psychically we're in touch with other people. So we, we have become the experts in, uh, in psychic intelligence uh, I think a second thing that um, ET experiencers possess is, as you referred to it earlier at the opening of the show, you were talking, were, uh, referring to multidimensional minds. Um, mm-hmm. I think that um, that people who are ET experiencers probably have oftentimes some kind of out-of-body experience. So I guess we're talking in a sense of psychic intellect, they're in their body, they're using their body, they're using their gut, they're using their their psychic ability. And then on the other hand, they're able to literally travel either in dream work or maybe through a near-death experience, or it could be just an out-of-body experience where they, they've had that sensation sometime in their life. And sometimes it's Unfortunately, from a trauma experience, sometimes mm-hmm. when we're in a trauma experience, we pop out of our body and, um, and for good we're, reason. Yeah, we're outside on the on the ceiling floating around looking down at us experiencing this trauma. A lot of children, um, I've noticed that um, among ET experiencers, there's oftentimes um, traumatic childhoods. And I think what's happened is that these these children have literally refined the ability to pop out of their their bodies and and fly around because they have been um, you know so traumatized and maybe abused that yeah. they have they've refined you know they open the door they come home from school they open the door they walk in the door and they 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 don't know what they're walking into so mm-hmm. they're very psychic and they're very multidimensional they're they've already had these experiences of kind of star travel oftentimes. Um, People who are ET experiencers um, have an I have either an angelic presence or an imaginary friend that mm-hmm. has been part of their life. That sometimes that friend is an ET. <laughs> yeah, I that's, had a, that's I, just a few. I had a friend um, who has since passed away, but he he would he he was not into all of this stuff, and yet he told he, he told us once that he he had had a there was a severe car crash and he found himself sitting in a tree looking at the wrecked car and, and everything and thinking that poor bastard isn't going to make it. And, right. and it was him. And, and um, when the ambulance finally got there and put him on a stretcher and put it into the ambulance, he was sucked back in. 
And it was like, I don't think so. I don't really want to go back. You know, this looks like it hurts. And, and he was right. It did. Um, what about, what about people who have had contact and, and with, with, um, with extraterrestrials and yet, and, and yet, see, see, I, I know people that have been abductees and then I've known people that, that really communicate with, um, bring, bringing ancient wisdom of sorts into this reality in order to apply it to, um, our, our life today. And, and, and yet that to me is also a, a contactee type thing because you're, you're going interdimensionally. Oh, absolutely. People that, you know, can go to, you know, whether you call it the hollow records in your DNA or the, the hollow records in, in your science, my people who remote view, uh-huh. I, I think um, all, all of those psychic abilities that, you know, that we, people that can see ghosts, people that are mediums and can talk to people who've passed over. I think that that's I, the coolest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> one of my, um, I guess one of my, my missions, one of our missions for the Institute for Exoconsciousness is to really move ufology and move the discussion of extraterrestrials out of the little ghetto that we've created around ourselves or in some cases that was created around us that we move outside of our little narrow fearful confines and move into some of these different um, consciousness um, and healing communities and begin to discuss you know what it's like to be an ET experiencer with people who are healers with people Mm -hmm. who've had near-death experiences with people who are you know Reiki healers or or people that are hypnotherapists I mean all of these there's an there's an ET component in all of these forms of of consciousness I I often tell people that their human that our human body is just an avatar that our consciousness resides in for this particular point in time that's well put. Isn't that, that's so well put. It, I totally agree. You know, so many people identify themselves. They look in the mirror and that's me and that's not you. That's your avatar and mm-hmm. the, the spirit or the consciousness within you will someday move on to another place, another time, another avatar. And, and uh, you know, it, it's like, you know, I, I like the one I'm in now. I'd like it to be a little less weight, but <laughs> I, you know, I think it, it's it's the sort American of, diet. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. But but you know, it's it's kind of like you have to understand this is who I am now, but it's not who I'm going to be in a hundred or two hundred years. Right. And go ahead. One of the things we talk about at the Institute for Exoconsciousness is looking at exoconsciousness as my personal extraterrestrial identity. Okay. So we're really taking it off the whole, I'm going to stand out in a field with a group of people and have a CE5 experience where I look up the stars all the night and try to see, you know, which stars move faster than the others and which is communicating with me. Uh I think that was a nice first step. I think it took us out of who we were, but in many cases, it also opened us to being in a community to do that process, to looking at, okay, who am I as a human being? 
And how is my identity being influenced by the fact that I have extraterrestrial contact? Am I just going to sort of ignore it and act like it's not there in my identity? Or am I going to, you know, share it with other people? Am I going to advocate for other ET experiencers? How How's this going to express my identity? And there's been a real... Um, a real opening, I think, just within the last maybe five years where people have come forward as ex- as extraterrestrial consciousnesses, as an extraterrestrial identity. They call themselves star children and they call themselves hybrids where, um, you know, my um, people who are have literally been told by their parents that they are like, I don't know. Do, do you know the artist, uh, the, the E.T. sculptor, Cynthia Crawford? Heard of her, yeah. Yeah, she'd be a wonderful guest to have on. Um, She was literally um, born in a Petri dish with um, an extraterrestrial um, bonded with her her, um, father's sperm. So when you look at her, she's just, I mean, she's fascinating looking. She's fascinating to talk to. And she has channeled all of these different extraterrestrial beings that she's come in contact with into sculptures and she's she's an artist like you I mean she really didn't have any inclination that she was ever going to be an artist or have formal training and all of a sudden she has this experience and and she begins to awaken this part of herself and she was a twin so there were you know her mother birthed two children and they were just opposite you know her sister is not at all uh, genetically her twin, uh-huh. which is, which is just fascinating. But, um, she, she ships these sculptures all over the world and they've awakened people just like your cards, uh, in ways that we, we would have never known, you know, had she not shared her art and, and had you not shared your art and, you know, and Cynthia is a hybrid. And I, I don't know if you've um, followed the work of Miguel Mendaka. But, oh, that uh, name's very familiar. Right. He just wrote um, We Are Disclosure, the three volumes, I believe, of We Are Disclosure. And then he just wrote a brand new book that um, I'm um, writing a commentary for him about people who were um, direct ET experiencers. So, um, And he and Barbara Lamb wrote a book exclusively about hybrids. And he interviewed about six or seven different hybrids for that book. So these are people that, um, and, you know, I call myself an exoconscious human. I don't really call myself a, a hybrid. I call myself an exoconscious human that um, I am, you know, aware and using and living through my extraterrestrial identity. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there is um, a real uh, need to celebrate whatever it is in order to let other people know it's okay to find it and celebrate it. Um, I know that um, I'm 73 now, and aside from aches and pains, um, very healthy. Right. And and I, I believe that, that this kind of exposure, this kind of utilize, you know what it is? It's, it's a level, it's a frequency of energy that, that excites you to the point that you don't age as fast as, you know, 
other people do. I mean, I, I, I have wrinkles. It's not that I don't have wrinkles, but I have a younger sister who looks 20 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that I think that there is um, an enhancement too. And the more you work with it, the higher the frequency goes. And, and it, it is a very exciting thing. And you don't have to sit on the mountaintop and wait for the mothership. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's yeah. it's it's taking or your backyard <laughs> or or that too. Um, it, it's taking these these qualities and incorporating them into your reality to enhance the vibrancy of that reality. And it doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It you know I found that the universe takes care of you, but it doesn't let you get rich because then you get apathetic and complacent, uh, which I think I should change next time I come back. But, but, <laughs> or not. Well. At this point, it sounds like it's a good idea, uh, but but it's 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 sort of like everybody has these wonderful gifts, and and it 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 doesn't have to be publication, and it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be artwork. It's it's allowing yourself to become the spirit, the consciousness, and let that enhance your reality. Because I, I truly believe that's the purpose of it, and and I think that creativity on any level is one of the portals that that energy can come through. I I totally agree with that. You know, I lived for uh, six years in Washington, D.C., where I I moved to work with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, and I I just went on a pretty steep learning curve there about, you know, what exactly was happening in terms of government, military, and intelligence um, operations and, and things that were being weaponized that I couldn't believe was being weaponized, like like the weather, for uh-huh. example. Yes. Like, you know, the, the extent of mind control and invasion of privacy, the extent of, of transhumanism. And I just, I, I look at what is happening on one level of our planet, and it really is, it really is planetary at, at, on a transhuman uh, the the uh, transhuman agenda is is definitely a a planetary agenda, and yet I look at that and the whole weaponizing of humans as collateral, where everyone is chipped and everyone is followed, and and the whole weaponizing of weather and you know chemtrails and all kinds of you know weaponized the ability to go up to, up to our ionosphere and 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 influence weather patterns. When I look at that and then I look at the amazing coming to life that people are doing just in terms of you talking about crop circles, people that are into crop circles, people that are communicating with animals and plants, people that are seeing the earth as a living, breathing, conscious entity that we're participating with her in this life, that there's definitely... uh, we're coming to a crossroads. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I truly believe that um, we who are ET experiencers are, 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 the, are best hope for our future in many ways because we are so tuned into, you know, the field of consciousness and to the planet and, and to one another in, in ways that, um, you know, you get into this intelligence and military and Pentagon type of, of thinking where everything and everyone is weaponized, including the weather that, oh, yeah. uh, that, you know, we have got to, it's, it's an even more of, um, 
an importance that we step forward, whether we call ourselves exoconscious humans or hybrids or spiritual, you know, what a cosmic star children, whatever we call ourselves, we have got to step forward on this planet and be active together in communities because either we will create this next reality that we're moving into together as humans or will all be ushered uh, unknowingly or passively into some kind of literally a virtual reality that's been designed for us that, you know, is lived through our cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I I absolutely agree with you. I think quite often I, I take a look at everything and I think, you know, I, I believe that the earth is a spaceship Mm -hmm. and at some point in time we will have the power the insight, the control to take the earth into a different orbit someplace. And, uh, but, but as, as a species, humanity is, is a little slow. <laughs> and, well, I think some of us are slow and some of us are slow. <laughs> I think some of us are really quite accelerated. I think, you know, you, you are really quite accelerated. I think your, your audience is quite accelerated. And I, 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 sometimes I've come to believe that this thing about, you know, humans are, you know, we're just, you know, we're just, you know, a, a, in kindergarten and the ETs are all so far advanced from us. Well, we, you know, wait a minute. We have ET intelligence. We have ET consciousness. That's just a oh, cop out. If we don't, if we don't use that, then we've let that opportunity slip through our fingers. And I, I think that also is just in terms of disclosure that we're coming today to, and, you know, I, as I said, I'm very active, for example, with this uh, new group forming called the Strategic Alliance for Disclosure. If you're, um, if your radio audience wants to um, connect with them and, and I'm, and I am a believer that there is a historical timeline to disclosure, but I also feel like, you know, wait, wait a minute, you know, the military was given 70 years Intelligence was given 70 years. The government was given 70 years to disclose this whole, you know, what they knew of of the extraterrestrial presence here on Earth. And they've done very little with it. And they've and Hollywood has co-opted it into this, you know, scary thing. So I almost feel like, you know, 70 years is enough. You know, you didn't do your work. You didn't come forward with the information. And now, you know, grassroots groups and grassroots people, they're the ones who are the star children and the hybrids and the exoconscious humans. We are the ones that are bringing forth this information. And in a sense, it's almost like it's a little too late, too little, too late. You know, we have, you know, I was, I was, I was pulled into the whole WikiLeaks dump uh, prior to the election before, um, you know, in uh, October prior to the November election. And I was pulled in because I was working with Edgar Mitchell and he and I were writing um, letters. Actually, I was writing the emails to John Podesta's office so that Edgar and I could go meet with John Podesta to talk about disclosure. And actually, John Podesta and Barack Obama, we had asked to speak with them about disclosure. And that was back in 2011 when I wrote those emails to uh, John Podesta. 
And the meeting never, the, we, um, John Podesta agreed to meet with us, but not with Barack Obama. He didn't, we wasn't prepared to have Barack Obama included. So um, we were going to meet with John Podesta in, um, I believe it was August, the week of August 11th in, in 2011 in D.C. And then Edgar got sick, was unable to make it, and we were unable to make the meeting. So you know, I, I moved on from working with Edgar and I began to do my own work again with exo consciousness. And then in, uh, in 2015, then all of a sudden, you know, we had this huge dump of, of WikiLeaks and, you know, my friend in Canada sends me an email one morning. He's like, Rebecca, you know, click on your email, you know, you're in WikiLeaks, your phone number and your email address is all over the world. And I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> and yet, and then I looked at, you know, Podesta, Hillary, you know, all of the Jimmy Kimmel shows, George Bush going on Jimmy Kimmel and goofing around. And I'm like, you know, really, these people have all had their shot. You know, John Podesta had his shot. You know, he didn't do it. Uh, And then, you know, after Donald Trump is elected, then all of a sudden we have a million pages flying out of the, you know, the FBI's files that it really has no new information in it. I mean, their disclosure, there is no new information coming from them. And yet, you know, maybe it's important for them to do it. I hope they do it. I'm supportive of, you know, supportive of that grassroots initiative that says you need to do it. Mm-hmm. And yet I think that um, it's all, it is too little too late in many ways. And, and the whole um, extraterrestrial experience or community community in many ways, they moved on, you know, well, we you moved know, on. <laughs> I, I truly believe have, have always believed that, that if extraterrestrial terrestrials were, were going to make contact, they wouldn't do it, you know, by landing on the white house lawn. No. I, in my opinion, it's always, it has always been and is going to continue to be a telepathic communication to everyone. And, oh, yes. And, and it's a matter of, you know, what the government holds back or not, it doesn't matter. Did Eisenhower have a meeting? Probably, I don't know. But, but you know, the reality here is I truly believe that for the most part it is a, a loving, kind, yes, energetic that they are trying to share with us. Harmonic. Yeah. And and this and, and unfortunately our, our government, you know, with every new invention, it's how can we make it a weapon, which just ticks me off unbelievably. But but I I do feel that that we're going to um, one of the things I do predictions for every month of the year. Right. Yeah, and, I read about and, that. And one of the the things that that I've come up with is that for some reason. And it, it was an, on a couple of shows when a guest didn't show up or something, and I just decided to 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 you know predict for the coming year. And one of the things that I said that keeps coming back at me and, and smacking me in the face was that at some point in time, and I, I gave it a time frame of sometime this summer, that we were going to find out that NASA was a fraud and that they really aren't working on spaceships. They're working on interdimensional travel. So that all these spaceships that are sending out mm-hmm. into space, they, they, they don't expect them to go anywhere. They truly don't. Mm-hmm. But, but they are more into working on interdimensional travel, you know, Stargate type material. Mm-hmm. 
And I know one of the things, are you familiar with the Bosnian pyramids at yes. all? Yes. I had Dr. Sam on the show and, oh. and we were, he was, we were talking about some of the um, stones that have pictographs on them. And one of them um, was interpreted because it, it came very close to um, the runic stuff, um, but it oh, was right. runic, but not. Mm-hmm. And, and the message was, you know, we have sealed the chambers, we've sealed the tunnels. We'll have to now um, just be out there and, and um, fight and, and to survive and wait for the Stargate to open again. Now, the cool thing is that um, the, the, the tunnels that he's working in are, are phenomenal. And if you look at the um, progression of the equinoxes mm-hmm. and then the cosmic equinoxes, they come in sync once every 27,000 years. And we're at one of those time frames where they are both in sync. So the veils are thinner. The ability mm-hmm. to, to reach into other dimensions is, is much more profound than ever before. And, and it's a matter of those who are willing and open to get that kind of communication and information are being downloaded like crazy. Yes. And, um, it, it's it's fascinating to see to, to see people talking about oh ringing in their ears or humming in their head and you know am I crazy and it's like well, we'll have the doctor check it out but I, I strongly expect you've gotten a download of some sort right give yourself some time to let it sort of integrate synchroni- yeah yeah become synchronistic with your own energy field and and you know do some journaling to see what kind of cool information that you're getting there. I used to have um, when I was I I I've, I've often um, had downloads and but especially when I started working with Edgar Mitchell and his team of international scientists because a lot of times I would have these papers and I mean I'm I'm not a science neither a science nor a mathematician scientist nor a mathematician and I would just go to bed I'd read the paper I'd go to bed at night and I would just say you know I need a download I need. I need help to understand this. And I would wake up in the morning and read the paper and I'd understand it. So mm-hmm. I think moving out into that whole field of, of consciousness, you know, whether you call it a holographic universe or a conscious universe, whatever you call it, that that's, that's something that, you know, that's something that humans have always been able to do. And, and some humans, you know, whether they met shamans or medicine people or healers and their tribes that, you know, these people were moving out into that area of consciousness. That's why I think it's so exciting that the whole, the whole arena of paranormal is just cracking wide open today. I think, I think that's, that's what it's all about. I, I would, I, I would add to your, um, your really powerful prediction that, um, NASA being a fraud because they're really into interdimensional or Stargate travel. I would add that I, I believe that a lot of work that NASA has done has been underground, that we have an, an incredible underground um, system of weapons and tunnels and communication portals that are, that are moving all through this earth. And I think a lot of money that we thought was going into space was actually going underground. I would, <laughs> to, I would totally to build this. Agree. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I, it, it's, it's sort of like, okay, so that is a more realistic type of disclosure. Yes, than, yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, yeah. I, I, I keep, um, I, it's, it's really funny. Most of the years I, I, you know, my predictions have been interesting, but this last couple of years, it's been fascinating for me. And, and, you know, I'm almost reluctant to sit down and do the next month because it, it feels like there's so much going on that there, the, the facades are falling away, that, that people are being called into reckoning as, as to their, their actions. And um, that, that there is definitely more going on here on the planet than, than we actually have ever realized. And, it's um, it's fascinating to me, but but a little scary. And and you know, I'm I'm not I'm a Pollyanna. I'm not, right. <laughs> and and yet there's there's this this issue that you know there will be riots because because of of what's going on as far as nationally. Um, I do feel that ultimately there there's there's going to be peace and and things are going to settle down and people will learn to work together again. And so that, but it, it, it looks like it's going to take at least two years. It's going to, it's going to take a while. I was going to say there's an, in, there's a phenomenal um, um, underground installation researcher named Richard Souder, who now lives in Ecuador. I'll um, introduce you to him. His, his work uh, was, is just really be, just defines, you know, what we've been doing under, under the surface of the earth in terms of, um, tunnels and installations and you know what our what our our world governments have been have been building all along when you know possibly we all thought they were going out out into space and they were they were all (laughs) underground it's like hello (laughs) well i mean look look at what what the bushes did they 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 bought that huge amount of land down in south america that that just happens to sit on top of one of the biggest Water. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. They own water rights all over. I mean, you know, and, and why, it's right next why bother with all the water rights? Yeah. You know, what do they know that we don't know? <laughs> yeah. And it's right. It just happens to be right next to an airport. So right. uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's very, very, very interesting. Um, right. I just uh, what one of the things that I'm very encouraged by also is um, I think, you know, when I worked with Edgar, I worked with a lot of international scientists. And today, once again, I'm, I'm beginning to do more and more work in terms of exoconsciousness, ET experiencers, and, and, and actually work with um, a lot of, quote, consciousness scientists that are dealing with, um, uh, w- with um, quantum mechanics, with, um, with quantum information to try and come to some kind of a theory or a conjecture as to how, how human consciousness operates in the, in the brain as well as out into the field of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a woman who's a filmmaker. Her name's Caroline Corey. And she wrote a, a did up has a film coming out in a couple of weeks called God the, the Gods Among Us, and it's semicolon the science of contact. And she's she's interviews. I don't want to give away the movie, but there is some very exciting um, DNA information that she brings forward, and very exciting um, ESP information that she brings forward in this movie, where she she just beautifully gets these scientists to uh, cooperate with her. She's been an experiencer for years, and you know to share their research with her, and then make it relevant back to 
extraterrestrial experiencers. And the same th the same thing that uh, Ray Hernandez is doing in free at this point with, um, you know, working with conscious scientists to try to define what what did the ET experience mean in terms of, you know, Edgar Mitchell's quantum hologram or, you know, um, Rudy Shields' work with astrophysics, uh, with astrophysics, and uh, these these are very very you know invigorating, exciting times, and I think that some things you know whether NASA or some things in history that we've been told happened, that um, you know some things are going to be unveiled also at, during this time. Oh, I totally agree with you, and. You know, I I was a school teacher for 25 years. Oh, so okay. I I taught special ed, and um, it 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 now you know just just sickens me to see what our education system is because we're teaching our children lies about history, and yes. it's it's almost as though you know come on let's let's truly rewrite the books let's put the truth out there and let's put the ET stuff in there because. It's a part of our reality. It's a part of our heritage. It's a part of our future. I taught um, one of the first um, extra first ufology courses in the nation back in 2005 at uh, Scottsdale Community College. I called it um, in here in Phoenix. I called it extraterrestrial reality. I taught I taught the history of of modern day ufology. And um, it was only had the course up for a semester and then someone complained in the community and they took it down. But I remember at the time it was I think I was teaching in Phoenix. Another one of my colleagues was teaching in um, in uh, in northern Ohio at Oberlin College. And then um, a woman was teaching in England. But, you know, when you look at the state of ET ufology in academics today, there's hardly any courses being taught. <laughs> And we were all so excited back in 2005. We just thought, wow, you know, this is like the renaissance and we're going to have all these new, you know, ET ufology courses <laughs> and the exact opposite happened. Everything well, was totally shut down. <laughs> isn't Lynn Katai working on uh, a program? She is. She has a new coloring book out. Um, mm -hmm. I just attended her Phoenix Lights anniversary show and she has a new coloring book coming out and she also has a curriculum coming out for school children. I think it's not just it's not just the ufology history that's that needs to be taught, but I feel like there's a real rupture in the whole in, in, in the historical timeline, quite frankly, of humans that um, Michael Cremo and people that do, you know, alternative research in terms of of history and and dating and dating ancient you know, ancient monuments throughout the world, that there's there's a real discrepancy between the academics that's that are being taught in terms of the timeline and the uh, the alternative resource resources coming forth. And then to complicate things further, you know, we're coming to a new understanding of time, of you know, our ability to move backwards in time as a human, to be, you know, fully present. And then like you, you know, you're making future predictions. You're literally moving your consciousness into into the future. So we have all these kind of movements afoot. Mm -hmm. Where I don't really think, I, I don't believe that the formal university system as it exists today is able to cope with it. I oh, think it I, has I, to be out in some kind of alternative type of learning. 
unfortunately, because, you know, it really is schools today um, don't even teach social mores. They don't teach you how to interact with other people. They, and, and above and above everything else, they don't teach you how to think. No. And, and so, so for, and, and I, I tell this to, to people all the time. I had four years in college, two master's degrees and nothing I learned in any of that applies to anything I do today. I, I, mean, I, I totally, I totally, it's funny. I applied, um, I can relate to that. I applied to a, a PhD program at a major um, university on the East Coast. And the, the program to which I was applying, um, the, the professor wrote back and she said, we have nothing to teach you. <laughs> you know, I had, I applied to um, a, a college for a PhD in, in metaphysics or, or whatever you want to call it. And I, I spoke with the, the woman who was, you know, going to help me plan my schedule. And she had had time to go through my website and everything. And she, she sat with me and she said, you could teach half of these classes. <laughs> I said, no, no, I, I want to take classes where I'm going to learn something. She, and she said exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. We have nothing we can teach you. And so... I- I, I said, so now what? <laughs> so now you go out into this radio show and, you know, me and my work, we, we teach, but it's, it's a very different, it's not, it's not the formula based teaching. It's not the curriculum, the formal curriculum based teaching. It's, it's very different. And maybe that's, maybe that's for the best. Well, it is, but you know, at, on top of everything else, because because I have such, I have the pleasure of interviewing such wonderful people. I make sure I read all the books they've written first, so that so that you know I have a you know it's it's part of it is in case they drop off, I can still go on with the show because I know what I'm talking about. Oh, interesting. That's an and interesting. Yeah, good. I I I, I think it was Brad Olson that mm-hmm. um he he has some some really fascinating books and and he dropped off somehow and i forget what we were talking about but i just kept going and after about 10 minutes i said to um my co my um producer i said is brad back and brad said oh yeah i'm back but i figured you know what you're talking about so <laughs> i just i said no this is your material you're supposed to be saying it <laughs> But That's he exciting. Was, he was into the haploid groups and everything, and right. I mean, I've had such such amazingly just phenomenal experiences. And then Patrick and I um, got into the um, the uh, megalithic type stuff because of the right. chambers that are around here, right. and we did the documentary on Secrets of the Stones. I and saw that. It was, it, yeah, I wrote it and narrated it and he did all of the graphic work and the music and Cindy Jordan did all of the music for it for us. And it was um, an amazing experience. And, and I, I said to him, you know, I like rocks, but I prefer them to be faceted and shiny. And, <laughs> and we, we spent years, three years um, following stone walls and finding stone chambers so so it it's it's such a learning experience and i think i am learning so much by finding people and offering them you know a platform to share their material and um and free and 
you know, Revolution Radio has been phenomenal with this because, you know, it's so long as it's not against the law and it's, it's you know, not too immoral. You can do anything. And it's almost uh, like uh, it's almost like pod, podcasts and and YouTube channels. I mean, it's almost like that. Remember the old open university model when, you know, universities would have kind of a side, you know, open curriculum you know, places where people would go and learn things. And then I think that was like back in the seventies probably. And then it kind of died out and then yeah. it, it was sort of, you know, we don't, we're not really going to do that anymore. You know, we don't yeah. have a more of a structured curriculum, you know, go get an MBA or an, or an MD or whatever. I know and my- uh, every, everything, you know, slanted to a certain profession, a certain professional mm-hmm. kind of curriculum instead of just general learning. And um, it's like, People still want that, <laughs> you know. People, people still crave that, and I well, think that's why podcasts have just been so phenomenally popular because oh, people absolutely. have this great thirst for knowledge, and 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 they 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 want to read books and you know listen to YouTube's and go to lectures, and um, I I think that you know once again I sort of feel like you know the university kind of missed its chance. <laughs> you know, you missed your chance there that you could have, um, you know, we could have had such a different society if you had gone in that other direction. And yeah, you know, somebody, somebody, somebody said something about how enlightened we were. And, and, and I said, you know, um, I, I frankly think we're going through a period of dark ages where our higher, our schools of higher learning aren't teaching the things that, that, everybody is so hungry for. Yeah, I don't see them, um, you know, the, the time I've, I've been around them, you know, when I, I was a chaplain for 15 years at a major university. I mean, we had a medical school, nursing school. I mean, it was a, it was a well thought, it's a w- very well thought of university. And yet um, the way that the university was structured, I really don't see that it had that ability within itself. And, and, and I think we're seeing it now in terms of, um, in, in terms of the whole, you know, fake news and, you know, algorithms taking over people's jobs and, you know, be people being replaced by robots. It's, it's almost as though the university has gone, you know, you walk through, um, the Baltimore airport or the Washington DC airport. And you see just, you know, banner after banner ad of all the universities in Washington DC to teach you to be a cyber security expert. You know, there's nothing about, um, you know, enriching your soul or your intellect or your, 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 the, the fount of knowledge that's out, out there for you to, to quench your thirst. It's, it's all about, you know, you want to be a cybersecurity or you want to be connected to a computer or, or robotics. I mean, the, 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 the university, it's, it's changed dramatically in the past 20 years. And it's, it's really bought into a transhumanism. Well, yeah, look what they do. They have a curriculum. You read a book, you spit it back at them, you get an A. You haven't learned anything. You haven't learned how to interact. You haven't learned how to to think, to take something and go beyond the limits that it has and, and to go outside the box. And they don't encourage going outside the box. They They encourage staying in the box and, you know, just this is what – this is what I'm teaching you. So learn it and spit it back at me. And I don't care if you ever use it again, but you know, that's how you're going to get your grade and get out of here. And I just, um, 
I, I, if, if I had young children today, I would, I would, I would homeschool them for sure. And, mm-hmm. and tell them, don't go to college, go out in the world and, 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 and yeah. learn there. Well, I'm, I'm in Arizona now and I'm in, in Washington, DC. It was interesting because in Washington, DC, you had a very active, um, a public school system and very good public school system. And then you had the whole echelon of private schools. Mm-hmm. So you had to pay, you know, 40, 50, 60, up to $75,000 for your kid to go to, to go to private school. It's like paying for a college education oh, for gosh, your, yeah. for your child. It was a very, you know, have and have nots kind of educational system. And then here in Arizona, it's just, it's quite the opposite. I mean, it's just a plethora of, you know, ch- of availability from charter schools to religious schools to public schools to homes. The homeschool is a huge movement here in Arizona. So I think that, um, you know, children are being taught different ways, but they're not, it's not part of the public school curriculum anymore. I think it's, it's parents that, you know, like you're saying, take the initiative and do that. I think that there are resources certainly there to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, major universities and major major public schools have have um, really become more superficial and more limited in what they what what they're teaching, and well, instead of being another, an expansive mind, give give it another ten years, and you're going to find universities, you know, saying to to people, I mean, we come in pre-programmed with with areas that we. Um, can 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 absolutely expand into and 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 enrich our, our reality at, at, at a very young age. We exhibit those those talents and gifts that we brought into this lifetime. That that we, if we follow them, they can enhance our our, our reality unbelievably. And then suddenly, people start narrowing that field down and saying, "You have to get a job. You have to do mm-hmm. this. You have to do mm-hmm. that." And and those magical things that we brought in that we you you can look at very very young children and you know where their their talents are. You you know if if they you know, are, are constantly drawing and painting and drawing and things like, you know, and, and creating that way that, that a creative career for them would, would make them incredibly successful or the kid that takes everything apart and can't put it back together again. <laughs> I mean, that, yes. that's, you know, those are, those are, you know, those have right. places too, but, but follow their inclinations instead of trying to, you know, put them into a mold and make them fit. Oh, God. Rebecca, thank you so much. <laughs> I know. This has been such fun. Absolutely. I will talk to you soon. We'll, we'll trade some names and numbers and stuff Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. I just, I just made a list, and I will do that. And, Deb, thank you for the show, and thank you, Barbara. Appreciate oh, it. Thank you. Good night now. Good night. <laughs>